Hi everyone and welcome to a slightly remixed edition of the Influencer Marketing News from Onalytica. Uh, this month we've decided to shake things up a bit so I'm, I am not joined by my usual co-host and I am instead bringing you someone uh, each month. Tom or I will be bringing you someone from across the Onalytica team. This week I am joined by our uh, Head of Customer Success in the US, Jordan. Say Hello. hi to everyone. Hi there everyone, it's great to be here. So uh, we are going to talk through all of our all of our top stories um, from across the world of sort of social media and influencer. And to begin with, Jordan, you have a story about Twitter looking at how they're going to start uh, getting user input on content moderation. Yes. So very similar to how Reddit have the upvotes and downvotes, uh, Twitter are trialing this with a couple of their iOS users at the moment to have upvotes up and downvotes on their tweets, which is really interesting, I think. Um, we're not entirely sure how this is going to look and what it means for feeding information into other users that are using Twitter, but uh, it looks like they're going to open this up to the world of tweeters and people will be able to upvote up and downvote, which is, I think, uh, very interesting space to go into. I know that they've recently said that they're going to also add in the edit button as well. So you've got a time limit to edit your tweets and now people can downvote them if they don't love them and upvote them if they do. Um, a few people have already seen it on their feeds and uh, have reacted to it. So that's been an interesting story to look out for. But yeah, what are your thoughts, Jack, on whether we should have upvotes and downvotes on Twitter. I mean, as always, uh, as, you, as you know from working with me, I have lots of opinions um, at all times. I mean, they launched, they, they've kind of launched this, this community moderation, I think last year, Birdwatch. And so, so my kind of my understanding of, of the feature and how they're, they're thinking about it is almost that it's more about how they, you know, how do you sort of provide feedback on whether, uh, you know, someone is engaging properly almost in in the conversation i think ultimately you know as as lots of reddit users will attest that kind of thing is really open to misuse um and kind of bad faith use of it and you know it's it's extremely easy for for particularly influential users on twitter to kind of bring down a storm of that kind of thing on um on someone they don't like so there's risk to that as always i guess you know, Twitter's taken a lot of heat over the years over over content moderation practices. I think often from people who maybe don't understand the ins and outs of how you develop features and, and try and test ways to, to do it. Um, so I think it, at times it's been a little unfair. Um, and, and in the last year or so, I would say they've kind of managed to, to take the heat off themselves. So it's good to see them testing stuff. Um, you know, anything that I think just helps introduce a little bit of, you know, thoughtfulness into the conversation and just ensure we're not exercising our, our kind of most instinctive reactions at times and that there's some sort of way for for that to be fed into the conversation for, for kind of feedback on what is and isn't a constructive response. You know, if someone's being really annoying in your replies, having some way to do something about it that's that's a bit less confrontational than telling them to go away or block them is maybe, um, you know, could it could end up being a sort of useful data source to draw on yeah. for content moderation. So. That's true. I mean, it, what does that mean for the like button, though? Is there a use for the like button if you've got up and down votes on a tweet? 
yeah, I don't know if they'll break them out separately, if they'll, yeah, if they'll end up integrating the two. Because, yeah, my understanding was that it wasn't a replacement. Uh, but then, yeah, that's, you're, you're not wrong. That's, that's a lot of buttons to have on the tweet, yeah. in the, uh, you know, in the, on your phone. You, I already pressed the wrong thing. Plenty, plenty on my phone. Yeah, you retweet so. instead of like, and now you've got an up or down vote. Absolutely mortifying if you get the yeah. Imagine, imagine downvoting your boss's your boss's tweets. Horrifying. Um, well, it, it's only open to a couple of people on iOS at the moment. So I know from your point of view as an Android user, there's not much I'm you can do. I'm proud of it, now. and I'm not ashamed. You shouldn't be. So. Um, keeping keeping the topic on Twitter, um, so that's a feature that's that's ha- making its way out the door. Something that is um, kind of meeting an early grave uh, after just eight months uh, live is the fleets function. So probably uh, around the start of the year, Tom and I were kind of it felt like every week we were talking about, and it had almost sort of become a meme that every single platform was trying to release ephemeral content. Um, this idea of kind of disappearing content so that people could post something a bit more, a bit more spontaneous, a bit more kind of lighthearted and um, throwaway, uh, building on the the kind of runaway success of Snapchat and then Instagram's successful subsuming of that. Um, again, from from a product perspective, I quite like to see that they've just gone. No one's using this. Get rid of it. We tried. It didn't work. You know, I personally was never that convinced, but there must have been something in the user research that made them think, oh, maybe this will this would encourage a bit more conversation. You know, it's known that lots of social platforms have that issue. Um, I don't know. Did you ever did you did you ever use a, a, a fleet at any point? I personally didn't, but I have seen some successes with a few of my clients where they have posted on the fleets. And um, I think in terms of measurement, it worked really well. So you could see how many people actually viewed the the, the fleet or story, um, which was nice to take back to a business and say, you know, we've had 8,000 people actually view this story. Uh, whereas impressions as a metric on Twitter, sometimes I struggle with that one because you're saying the impressions are the whoever's tweeted out times their followers so if they've got a million followers you're saying a million impressions on that tweet which I don't think is a realistic number to be giving a brand or even you know an influencer themselves so I think that on the measurement side it it worked quite nicely uh but yeah for sure it's intentional isn't it like you have to open up the fleets I mean you really had to know where it was to to look at it so there's yeah. there's something to that that it's outside of the main workflow whereas you're right impre- normal impressions data can sometimes you know social networks will either guard closely or, or have a very loose definition of kind of what counts as an impression um you know a third of a second pausing over something doesn't mean I, I stopped and read it properly but yeah as far as some poor marketers concerned maybe that 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 is being served to them as an impression so yeah good that they tried good that they knew when to to give up so as as fleets and and sort of ephemeral content dies you have a story about linkedin doubling down on their their version which is less imaginatively just called stories yes i mean to be completely honest i didn't realize uh twitter fleets were called fleets until they decided to sunset it so uh linkedin stories um 
which I'm sure most people are aware of, they have recently partnered with Canva, who are presenting software. So you are now able to upload stories on LinkedIn using the Canva software. So you can create some really nice looking stories for a brand. Um, and I think this is going to be a game changer, really. I think that a lot of uh, brands will start using it. Uh, I think it's going to be an easy way to create good looking content. Um, and I, I've personally used Canva and it's very user friendly. So I'm looking forward to seeing how marketing strategies are changing in the coming months uh, to use this for for LinkedIn and their stories. Yeah, I mean, Canva is kind of it really feels and it, it's anecdotal, but it, it feels really true. Like any social media person I know will rave about it. And it's kind of it's the dream for the 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 short on time social media marketer needs to publish the same thing to all their platforms. You kind of you don't have you know, you don't have two days of designer time to use. You just need to quickly kind of put something together. It helps you with all the templates. I think, yeah, adding LinkedIn makes makes complete sense. I agree with you. It's going to yeah. be. I would expect that to be a, a step change. I guess we'll see what happens with with uptake of that. You generally, I mean, all all platforms are, are kind of flaky on user numbers and they don't like to give it. And even even when they're sort of giving their quarterly results to to shareholders, they can sometimes be a bit flaky about it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether they say anything or or whether kind of anecdotally it feels like people are using. But you know, anyone using Canva, knowing that you've just got LinkedIn available now, um, as well as a, as a publishing platform is yeah. um, is really exciting, I think. And also um, from a marketing point of view, you don't always have the resource to design everything. So, and also marketers aren't designers themselves, or at least a lot that, that we work with. So the fact that they are able to push out content, good looking content on a more on-demand basis, I don't see that being a negative at all. Uh, yeah. You know, I feel like we we use the phrase Analytica, a, a social card with, you know, with the influencers headshot and your quote in your company colors. We, we use that phrase multiple times a week, knowing that you can push that out from Canva straight straight to your channels is, yeah, absolute gold dust. Um, so my final story is around um, online presenting setups. Uh, this this sort of caught my eye in, in the feed when I was, I was sort of researching for this month's uh, episode. Uh, there's a pro, there's a professor uh, of economics, I think, called Emily Nix at USC in America, uh, who has who has kind of figured out how to rig up a light board uh, is, is what it's called. And it's, it's basically like a sort of transparent whiteboard. She can shine the camera through it and she's able to um, to kind of give her lecture and have the the slides up at the same time so that it's like she's writing on the whiteboard while she's doing you know lectures over zoom or teams or other conferencing softwares are available um especially the ones uh made by our clients i think that the kind of the interesting thing about this for me is whether in in the sort of influencer space and particularly where you know people who've, who've made you know for whom event speaking is kind of their bread and butter I sort of wonder whether you know this type of thing is is what we're going to see increasingly emerge as a differentiator. You know, it's it's really great to be a very personable and energetic speaker in the room, but I wonder if if the industry will resettle back to that model ever, or whether, or you know, or if it takes another two three years before we're really back 
you know, will it be worth investing in this in this kind of setup and really having it as a as a differentiator? Because I think, you know, for this professor, it's obviously it, it's raised her profile. It's a it's a CV talking point forever, really, that she she's pioneered this. I don't know. Have you seen any kind of exciting at home setups or or do you kind of do you think from what you've seen, people need to uh, to up their game a bit? I haven't, there's nothing that comes to mind that's been super exciting that's worth talking about, but I really think working with events at the moment and a lot of them wanting to go back in person is just not possible. And I don't think it's going to be possible really for a good couple of years. And I think you're missing out on a huge audience by not having anyone virtually there. So I think this definitely helps with more of the hybrid events that we're going to be seeing in the future. So um it may be that people are there in person but you also have it record you have a live setting and it's being recorded and and everything sort of works quite nicely having a really good setup to show audiences that are online people that aren't able to travel at the moment i mean borders are still closed i don't think many people are even allowed into the u.s so i think for now i think that would work really well but it'd be interesting to see you know this time next year if this is still the case yeah because i think from a lot of brands perspective it's obviously more wallet friendly not to fly someone out um and environmentally and, uh, friendly yeah no absolutely uh, it, just as it just as importantly and from a from an influencer perspective the range of things you become available for if you don't want to spend you know 15 weeks of the year away from your family traveling at, you know on, on business it's quite nice if that, you know, if travel remains something that you you get to do for leisure. And um, obviously, we all know that face to face relationships are valuable, but I definitely think there's there's kind of something in it. So um, one to keep an eye on. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll certainly I'll, I'll share the link. I encourage everyone to watch the video because it's really ingenious what she's done. She kind of said she basically went down to the hardware store, a few phone calls with with kind of family to to get it figured out and she's got a really kind of um a really clever solution to the kind of issue of being able to write on the whiteboard uh so that's it for uh the july edition of um, of the influential times we will be back next month it will be tom and another very special guest from somewhere across the analytica business so that the lovely folks out there get to meet the rest of the team but for now thank you to jordan Thank you. I feel very uh, privileged to be your first guest. No, absolutely. There's there's no one else I would rather have. Um, and for everyone at home, uh, sign up to the newsletter. There will be a fifth story. And of course, all of the links to the ones that we have talked about here. Uh, and other than that, I will see all of you in a couple of months. Thank you.